Welcome to episode 18 of the bonus series of the Geared for Growth Property Investing Podcast, where we talk to the experts and get them to share their top tips on how to achieve exceptional results in the property market. We at MCG are passionate about taking the mystery out of property investment. This podcast is designed for anybody interested in investing, whether you're looking to buy your first property or you're a veteran investor with multiple properties to your name. We believe there's always something more to learn and who better to learn from than the people who are in the game. You'll hear from buyers, agents, mortgage brokers, strata managers, accountants and many other professionals all sharing their insider knowledge. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, and I'm excited to be sharing this time with you. If you love this podcast, click on the subscribe button so you'll never miss another episode. Our series on property investing, the journey from start to finish, would not be complete without a good look at the numbers. After all, at the end of the day, we're investing to make a profit, and we need to know that we're making the most out of our hard-earned dollars. One person who makes sure his clients are well aware of their cash flow before they buy a property is Brendan Clark, principal, buyer's agent and founder of The Property Curator. With a background in analytics and strategy, Brendan is well placed to talk us through the detail of property cash flow, looking at both sides of the equation. He knows how to pressure test income and expenses so that your property investment delivers the result you're looking for. Welcome back, Brendan. Brendan Clark, thanks for joining me back on Geared for Growth. Good to be back, Mike. Thanks for having me. We are having you today to talk about something a little bit, a uh, little bit specific. Because last time we sort of went all over the place, such such as what happens when you and I chat. Um, but today I wanted to get you as part of our new series of investing from start to finish to to understand yields and property investing cash flow. I, I think the problem that investors can have is that they they do their their due diligence and they put, they they figure out which property they're going to buy. They pull the trigger and they don't necessarily have a super clear idea about what it's going to cost them per week, um, certainly after tax. So this is, I mean, as a due diligence expert and as a numbers, um, I want to say psychopath, I think this is the perfect podcast <laughs> for you. Thanks, Mike. It's a good intro. It's a compliment. I've been called a psychopath before on a, uh, <laughs> on a podcast, so first time for everything. There you go. Um, yeah, mate, this is something that's close to my heart. So as sort of an ex-analyst, I sort of um, dig deep into the numbers, I guess. So I think when, um, you know, I, I approach things very um, methodically sort of as an ex-analyst, so I sort of make sure I sort of um, map everything out um, using a spreadsheet, which, you know, m- most people do anyway. But I, I think it's easy to get caught up into the trap of um, finding somewhere and sort of getting some numbers to sort of fit the narrative that you're after, for example. So I guess um, we, we've all done it. When I sort of started out, I, I wasn't anywhere near it sort of um, exact, I guess, about the process I go through. Obviously, we covered due diligence last time, but all that sort of stuff. But, but when you're looking at the numbers, it, it is easy to fall into into traps of sort of almost um, wishing for things to be true, if that makes sense. So some of the stuff I've seen, um, you know, working with professionals and, you know, people I've worked with myself and people I've you know, met and stuff like that and, and other stories I've, I've seen and heard, then there's definitely, um, you know, it's a thing that a lot of people can, can fall into a trap of. And I think that as long as you take the time up front um, to really understand what you're looking at with regard to these numbers and, and break things down and, and do it just, you know, um, methodically, then you shouldn't get in, in too much trouble, but it probably takes a little bit more time than um, some people initially imagine. Yeah, but it's, it's a common issue, I see, that's for sure. 
Mm. And when it comes to sort of figuring out what it's gonna what it's gonna really sort of net week to week, let let let's say bef- before tax, we know that um, the, the yield is five percent or whatever, so it's renting X amount per week. We can get an idea um, of the property management expenses. Um, what are some of the other key things like in insurances and things like that? Is there sort of a, a rough percentage you would apply? I've heard people sort of talk about. You know, allowing um, you know five percent of the the rental income for um, maintenance and those sorts of things. Are, are there any sort of rules of thumb? Uh, yeah, there are. I tend to stick away from them um, because I don't want to fall into traps because it doesn't take too long to actually do to do the work to to ascertain those numbers at a, a more sort of granular level. So there are certainly rules of thumb, like that one you mentioned there. Um, and some people um, can also work off um, percentage of sort of property value um, as opposed to off, off the rental um, rental value. But you can get to a similar sort of number as what you said there. Um, but look, I just I just sort of map everything out, right? So if we sort of, I, I treat everything, it's almost like a P&L statement, a profit loss statement for a little, um, a little business because that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about your own little, you know, three bedroom house, two bedroom unit or whatever. It's a, it's a property business, right? So I, I treat it as such. And, and, you know, so you've got your ins, your outs. And, and the first is obviously your rent. Um, you mentioned yield and, and obviously, you know, to get there, we have to understand the rent. So um, that's on, on the surface, it's, it's a very simple thing to look at, right? So you could look at a place that sort of, um, you know, you mentioned the yield or something, but if, if we look at sort of 500 bucks a week or whatever, um, one of the, the first things that people get in, in strife with is, is not actually pressure testing that, right? And it seems super simple, but, um, you know, if you sort of look at a place on domain real estate or something like that, um, and we'll have that sort of weekly rent there, well, you know, unless that's a currently tenanted, um, you've really sort of got to dig down to understand is 500 fair value, right? So um, I've seen plenty of cases where, you know, say you, you speak to the, um, the agent if you're looking for an investor, um, and they're like, yeah, yeah, 500. Well, where, how'd you get to that figure? Oh, well, that's what our, you know, property management team is telling us. So in that sort of situation, you just spend a little bit more time understanding what that looks like. Um, you know, speak to an alternative property manager, have a look what's on domain and stuff like that. And, and that's your first step, right? That's obviously your income. When you talk about expenses, um, or, you know, operating costs or whatever, we could apply that sort of thing. And I've certainly got, um, I, I apply it the other way, right? So I put all my sort of, numbers in there and then look at what that comes out as as a percentage if that makes sense as yep. an operating cost there because that gives me a sense check of how that might compare to sort of other properties right because certain um you know style of properties will have different you know operating cost profiles right so i've um had a lot of success with sort of um, i think we talked about before but you know boring old two bedroom you know one bedroom sort of walk-up units and stuff like that plus um you know some other sort of other sort of assets, but really plain Jane sort of stuff, right? And um, I like those sort of things because they can have lower sort of operating costs, but yep. but it's not hard to work out. So if you sort of if you're looking at strata, then you can get an idea. Um, you know, when you just got to ask the agent to get what you can pay. If you're doing a strata report, obviously that's a better way. But you can certainly get um, latest minutes and a few things to get an idea about what the actual costs are, council costs. You know, just um, water, all those sort of things. Um, it doesn't take a great deal more time to get a better understanding of what those actual costs are, as opposed to just sort of um, taking it as read from what from what a selling agent agent tells you. So they're the obvious ones. Um, insurance is an interesting one because 
depending on what you're buying into, if you're buying sort of strata, then obviously you need a different style of insurance. Um, and you know, landlords not landlord insurance is not a, is not optional. It's an absolute must have in, in my opinion. Mm. Um, but you know, you can't depending on what you're buying. Like if you've got the time, and you should if you're buying hundreds of thousands of dollars of asset, you should you should make the time. You can actually call up insurance companies, right, to get an idea about what things should cost. So maybe you call up GIO, maybe you call up NRMA for, for home and content or whatever, and get an idea about what that particular property you're looking at um, might might cost you, right? Because you can get a, a surprise, particularly if you're in an area that, um, you know, is more prone to sort of, um, you know, some sort of natural disasters or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, the thing that a lot of people forget is maintenance. Um, so that sort of it's an easy one to not put in, you know, to not put a, a line in a spreadsheet for because you could just go, well, it's not a, you know, it, it's a cost that I'll pay um, as and when, right? right? But certainly, um, again, if you take that sort of business um, mindset, then you, you're looking at it and you're saying, well, I, I should put something in there as an annual reserve, right? So for every client I'm working with and, and certainly for my own stuff, I, I put a, a number in there, right? For each style of property might be a bit different, but at least it's something in, it, in there to understand that, um, I expect that this might cost, you know, a thousand bucks a, a year or, or more than that or less than that or whatever it might be, but at least you've got something in there. Um, and, you know, in simple terms, if it's a thousand bucks a year, then sort of, you know, $20 a week or something that you should be allowing for um, in case something happens. It's not going to cost a thousand. It'll cost, you know, more than that, less than that, whatever. But at least it's about thinking about it that way and saying, I'm putting something aside um, for if and when that does happen because that will be a cost of, of ownership um, at that stage. And then, you know, I've had plenty of properties that have had nothing needed, not even a like load, right, during the year. Um, but, you know, then then it's sometimes I've had stuff where I've had to spend sort of, I don't know, about five grand or something on, on new stuff throughout a year if, if things break at the same time, right? So um, all those things can, can add up. And then, um, you know, we'll probably come back to it later in the chat, but interest is um, it's a big one to, to think about as well. So that's the whole sort of chapter in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I, it's interesting you talk about doing that analysis with with your properties, but also with investors that you work with as well. I, I've never really heard about a buyer's agent sort of running through the the cost of ownership exercises. Is, is that a, a, a typical thing, or is that just a a Brendan Clark sort of uh, Rain Man thing that you like to do? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. Um, well, I'll give a hat tip to Steve Waters from Right Property Group for this one. So I worked with Steve um, when I first started out, mm-hmm. um, and he's big, well, the team there as well, but, but Steve particularly is big in talking about operating cost. Um, so, you know, I sort of obviously looked at it, you know, I'm a, I'm a finance guy, so we look at that sort of stuff, but he was the one who taught me how to frame that up, right? So it's a, it's a super simple concept, but, um, but it is something to consider because I, I think that if you're looking at... Um, at, at properties, right? It's, it's super easy to look at something and get um, get taken in, right? So if you see something that's got the, you know, the nice pool and, and stuff like that, you can sort of, there's a difference between looking at the high level yield number, right? The, the sort of rent 
um, the rent percentage there versus what you're actually getting at the end of the day, right? So when you talk about that operating cost, is about saying, well, you know, if we've got a, if I'm buying a strata property that's got, um, you know, pools, lifts, and all that sort of stuff, and that's something that that everybody talks about. That's something, you know, you, you may wish to avoid if you're looking to to get a, um, you know, a lower operating cost. But you can see why people go into that, right? Because the marketing spin on that sort of stuff is really important. Um, is is really, well, I say important. It's, it's um it's easy to fall into that trap, right? So if, if you're looking at something and says, well, you know, this thing's this thing's yielding a relatively high number, but when you actually take out what you're contributing in things like strata costs and stuff in order for your tenant to enjoy those facilities, um, you know, what you're actually left with can be quite different, right? So that's when that sort of operating cost or, or understanding how much that, that property is going to cost you, um, you know, it's really important to understand. It's, it's particularly an issue when you're buying uh, newer stuff and when you're buying, um, you know, particularly sort of lifestyle-focused strata assets, I'd say. Yep. So... We talked about some of the the key things that you would you would chuck into your calx as operating costs, so property management, strata, insurance, which is going to be um, different if it's a strata titled property. If it's a house, you're going to have the you know the house and the contents and landlord insurance. Then we've got council rates, water um, maintenance, the interest component. Uh, I know that this is not something that you would do. Uh, you would create your own Excel spreadsheet, but are are there templates of 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 things that people can download that will help them to put this together to do the calcs on particular properties? Uh, yeah, there's a few floating around. Um, I've, you know, I've always come back to the thing that I've created just because, um, you know, I, I trust it a bit more. Yeah. Um, the, the reason I do that is because it's not hard to build, right? These things are not instinctively difficult. Um, they're simple sort of formula stuff, right? So I look at everything from, uh, weekly, then monthly, then yearly. Um, so just three columns across. But it's just a, a way of looking at it to make sure that I do not miss anything. Yeah. So if I've built something myself, I know that all the costs are in there, right? It doesn't need to be the, the best-looking spreadsheet or something, but it's just working through and making sure I don't miss something because, you know, things add up, right? And at the end of the day, it is a, it is a business, and you don't want to go into it thinking that you're going to make X amount of dollars, and at the end of the day, you make you make something substantially less than that because that that obviously happens. But um, one of the biggest things um, I have noticed over time, and this is why I have built this thing for my clients in the way that I do, is is understanding uh, interest and funding. Right. So um, you know, not a not a mortgage broker, but certainly if you if you're looking at this from a business, there's a high likelihood that you're funding a large a large proportion of the of the property cost. Right. So I think that. Um, what what I miss in some of the online sort of calculators and stuff is the ability to sort of tweak that funding side of it, right? So just to dig a little more and, and where where people can get into trouble, I think, is um, not really understanding how they should be allocating funding, how they should be allocating debt. I know it sounds a bit technical, but to give a simple example, right? So say we're looking at a um, $500,000 property <coughs> and, um, you know, you might get 80% lend, right? So you've got $400,000 there. Yep. Um, doesn't matter about rent or anything for this one, but but if you're borrowing that eighty percent, then the additional twenty percent, in this case, a hundred thousand dollars, the deposit is coming from somewhere. Yes, um, I don't generally work with that many people who have hundred thousand dollars um, cash, like legitimate cash, just lying around. If they do, then by all means, put it in there, um, and you are, you know, in that case, you're funding it just with eighty percent lend. But to the degree that people uh, have got an equity release or they're reducing an offset account or, or something like that where there's an opportunity cost of those funds, 
um, you know, they're going to be paying for that money, right? So if you sort of, if you, Mike, you had a property and you, um, you wanted to buy something and then you, um, you did an equity release against one of your other properties, well, you're increasing the debt on that property, right? Yes. So you need to put in, um, you know, what I'd call an interest charge against that, right? It might be a different bank, it might be a different interest rate, whatever. But you need to sort of say, well, I'm actually paying for that, that 20%, that $100,000. I will be paying for that every month, week or, or whatever. Um, and I think a lot of people um, fall into the trap of just not actually putting that into their spreadsheet or not actually saying to themselves, well, I'm actually going to be paying for this debt, so I need to make sure that what that looks like in the weekly budget. So that's something I'm really keen to um, make sure that, you know, I never miss, miss on, on the sort of analysis I'm doing. Um, and the other, I'd go to a bit of an extreme. I know some buyers agents and some investors do, but um, I sort of allocate a cost of capital, if you like, or allocate, um, you know, interest charge against pretty much everything. You know, so if it's stamp duty, um, you know, how are you going to fund that? If you're funding that from the equity release, well, you need to make sure that you're actually allocating some, um, some interest cost uh, weekly, monthly or whatever against that. Um, because at the end of the year, you're going to see it, right? When you do your tax, you're yes. going to see that you've spent, um, you've spent this much on, on interest and some people, um, they just forget that, right? So you see some of the stuff on, you know, the, the super duper cool Facebook ads and stuff like that mm-hmm. saying oh, it's cash flow positive and stuff. You just got to step back and say, well, is it cash flow positive at 100% debt, at 105% debt? What are the assumptions? You see a lot sort of around 80%. That's fine. Again, if you're sort of um, finding stuff just by cash. In that case, 80% lend, no worries at all. But um, if you're not, you know, like if you're sort of saying, well, I'm borrowing this this much as an equity release or I'm reducing an offset account, which otherwise would be saving me money, um, you know, you just got to be sort of honest to yourself. So I think that's one of um, the biggest traps that people get into. At the end of the year, they, they don't make um, as much money as they'd hoped. Um, and then, you know, that that's not a good place to... That's a that's a very interesting point because you hear a lot about these people, um, and I guess it's buyers agents and it's shiny ads. Um, there's always a degree of gloss. I, I hate how gloss gets blamed yep. for the dodginess in the world. I mean, it is just kind of like a finish, right? But um, a lot of people will talk about you know you purchase a good property and then you redraw the equity and you buy another one. It's almost like that equity is kind of free money, but the reality is is that the if you redraw equity on that you know albeit successful first investment property well your repayments go up so it's not free money it's got to be calculated in somewhere and i've never heard anyone sort of explain it in in the detail that that you have have you have you sort of come across any investors in your travels where they really didn't sort of do this analysis very well and were in sort of a position where they were they were forced to sell or in some financial duress um not really. No, not that they've they've spoken to me about, but I do see it in, in plenty of cases where I think, um, you know, a lot of stuff on online, right, forums and stuff like that, when people are talking about certain things, you can sort of tell that um, the way they're analysing it may not be, um, you know, taking into account all the cost, right? Because, um, you know, maybe they just don't know about it or maybe it just, um, you know, makes them feel better to say it's, it's more cash flow positive um, than it is. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do know that a lot of sort of, um, yeah, any good mortgage broker, and this is why I sort of, you know, you've got to work with professionals. Any good mortgage broker um, is going to be able to step you through that, right? They'll help you with a good structure. They'll help you understand how you're financing things and, and stuff like that. So it's not, it's not, I don't think it should be a common mistake. I think it's just that um, it's easy for people to fall into that trap. 
Mm. Yeah, I think I, I guess I always like to sort of try and bring it back to the fact that your average investor owns one property and what, what is the reason, what's sort of going wrong. I think it's perhaps to, to do with, you know, the asset selection rather than the budgeting and the cost, but I think it's it's probably got a role as well. Mm. Um, so if, if you wouldn't mind rounding us up, on this topic where you know you're helping people understanding the yields and the and the cash flow what what are your best tips for for people yeah so i think we've covered a few of them in a roundabout way but my first tip um is be honest with how you're funding everything so that's exactly how we talked about that that there um then the next bit is don't fudge your numbers so that's basically saying do 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 checks right so um the problem that some people get into is that they look at cash flow at a point in time. Like cash flow, sorry, they look at cash flow, you know, I know it's a point in time, but but it, it's not the be all and end all, right? You need to understand what you're looking to achieve from a property and then cash flow is, is part of that that bigger game, right? So, um, you know, and that's basically what your investor series is uncovering, right? What would be the entire sort of investor journey here. So cash flow is obviously an important part of it, but you've got to understand that it is at a point in time and, it, and it, it can and it will change, right? So I've seen plenty of situations where, um, you know, properties that might look pretty good to start with, they lose a lot of that, that gloss, right? Mm. So, um, you know, and the, the cash flow that you might be getting in the beginning is not cash flow that you might get in a few years' time because of, um, of how things change. So I guess when I say don't fudge your numbers, what I mean is that understand what it looks like now. So that, those approaches, right? So, you know, make sure you your pressure test what, what people are telling you. If they're telling you it's 500 bucks a week rent, you know, do the work to understand it. Um, I came up with a situation the other day for um, an owner-occupier client where um, the strata numbers were understated by about $100 a quarter right. because the um, the agent just didn't know that it increased. So that's, that's enough to make a difference, right? Like it's, it's still 400 bucks a year. So just doing that bit, but don't fudge your numbers also means understand what things might look like in the future. Okay, you can't forecast rent. But you can forecast, you know, understanding that, you know, will you need more maintenance in the future? Will you need less? Will you need, um, you know, what is there a lot of supply coming online? Yes. Right? So if you're buying in an area where it looks pretty good now, I mean, there's, there's big pockets of lots of cities around Australia, but particularly in, in some parts of Brisbane, I think that people can fall into a trap because they're buying something shiny right now. And then, you know, at the end of the day, in a few years' time, it won't be shiny and new, you know, but a few subdivisions across will be shiny and new. So that's all about saying, well, um, is the yield that you're getting now, is the rent per week that you're getting now sustainable? What does that look like into the future? I'm not Nostradamus, but sometimes you can do some simple things to understand if the situation will improve or, or get worse, right? So that's all about that's all about scarcity. Right? Yeah. Um, and the last one I've got is a bit abstract, but, you know, um, and I've awesome. got understand yield in context. So this is, this is all about me sort of reflecting on, on how I started, right? So I sort of started in, I guess, 07 and um, first property 07 and then 08, another one, right? But when I was buying back then, everybody was chasing just mega yields, right? And I certainly, in Sydney, it was, it was not hard to get, to get, you know, the properties I'd got were, you know, well, well so sort of mid fives or something, which now is not, you know, it's not huge yield, but, but it was not difficult to get. Whereas now you're sort of seeing yields in, in Sydney, which are in the threes and, and substantially less in, in cases like that. But also the cost to acquire that asset that will give you that yield is substantially lower. So if you're still applying the sort of the same sort of frameworks as, as what you might have um, 10 years ago, you, you know, it, it, things have moved on a little bit. So 
when I talk about understand yield in context, it's all about what do you need that property to do? Do you need a 5% yield because that's what your, your plan tells you? Or, you know, can you do a little bit of a safer yield in a, in a more blue chip suburb or something and dial it down a little bit? So that's all about understanding what, what you need and also how you're financing that. Um, things won't always be as cheap as they are now. You know, when I was first buying, you weren't getting 2% interest rates. Right? But now, now some people are. So I think that, you know, don't worry about what everybody else is doing. If you see people advertising 7% yields, maybe you need that, maybe you don't. But just understand what you need and, um, and yeah, go about looking for a property after that. I think that's yeah. great. The that's I- it, man. Yeah, the idea of, of, of fitting the property uh, to to meet your needs rather than just going, oh, this has got the best yield, um, you know, this is going to give the most back in, in in your pocket. You know, making that that decision based on, well, maybe I can I can stomach less of a yield in a, in an area that I know has got better growth potential. So that's that's some amazing advice, and I certainly have learned a lot um, from chatting with you, Brendan. I always do, and I would encourage anyone to go and check out your episode one hundred. 20 on Geared for Growth, where we do uh, a real deep dive on due diligence. I, I learned a, a tremendous amount from that as well. So um, if you learn anything from this, please, I'd love you to jump on iTunes uh, and uh, come up with a review uh, just to drown out some of that hate mail. Um, Brendan, it's great to have you on. It's uh, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Cheers.